A white man? No! Hello and welcome to The Unsub is a White Man. I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. And we're, we're back again. We certainly are. We're doing it another time. <laughs> yet another episode of this wonderful show. Um, I have in the time since we recorded our first episode, watched several more episodes of Criminal Minds, the later seasons. I'm not cheating on the early ones. No. As well as, how many times did you watch Compulsion? Uh, twice. Yeah, I watched it twice too. <laughs> yeah, I watched Compulsion twice. I've pretty much um, only been either watching episodes of Criminal Minds or crying while watching TikToks of Olympians' families cheering from them for them via video feed. That makes sense. Have you seen the British guy that knits? Yes. I love him. So it's Olympic tears and Criminal Minds is <laughs> <laughs> all I've been up to. Excellent. And I'm very excited about compulsion. Yeah. Because we got we left on a cliffhanger. I know. Before we get started though, I as well as uh watching or aside from watching the episode twice, did a little bit of research. So uh it turns out that unsub is an actual term that the really? FBI uses. <laughs> yeah. Um Wow, like, I'm shocked. Yeah, like John Douglas, I guess, uses it in his book. Hmm. So I So was, some things they do are grounded in fact. Yeah. Um uh, however, uh, that is about it as far as accuracy, mm-hmm. um, because profiler, not a real job, mm-hmm. but the BAU is real. Oh, like it's a real part of the FBI. Um, but the criminal psychologists that work for the BAU, it, like, it's just a desk job. They don't actually go anywhere. They just remotely advise, uh, local police departments. Um, and there are actually like five subunits that work with very specific types of crimes. So there's not like one group of five people that just flies around, I mean, busting it, down doors and arresting criminals. Shockingly, the real setup sounds much more efficient than yeah. our fictionalized, fictionalized version here. It really does. They don't have a private jet or anything. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that is why they don't make TV shows about the real FBI criminal psychologist <laughs> jobs because they're just, you know, sitting at a desk researching in like looking at case files. And well, reassuringly, <laughs> Which makes more sense. They're all actual criminal psychologists. We have one partial psychologist in our criminal minds team, right? It's like one of his many degrees is psychology. Yeah. Nobody else seems to have any real qualifications. Right. They just show up and would like to have a job. They're just also interested. Like if I showed up and was like, I too am interested in crimes. I can also wildly speculate about yeah. motive. Well, especially if you show a little leg. Right. <laughs> that would be Morgan's advice to getting that job. <laughs> I'd get right in straight to the top. Yeah. But yes, we definitely left off with a cliffhanger last time. Um, we have Gideon and he's in the weird Canadian gas station parking lot that is in rural Virginia. And the Virginia foot- in air quotes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the footpath killer has a gun pulled on him. Um, in my notes, I said I didn't know if it was a rifle or a shotgun. I think it's a shotgun, but I don't know guns, which will come up again later. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, he hits Gideon, knocks Gideon's gun out of his hand, and then shoves him up against a wall. Um, Gideon gives him his wallet to show that he's an FBI agent. And... Um, Gideon tells him that he knows about him, he knows about the people that he killed, and he also tells him that he knows why he stutters. Ooh. Yeah. 
because Gideon is good. If Gideon is good at anything, it is a cool burn on an unsub. Yes. He knows what to say that's going to just get under their skin. Absolutely his greatest skill. Uh, So then uh, we cut to the BAU office, and Gideon is being asked a whole bunch of questions about the footpath killer by some random agents uh, or students, maybe. They're wearing, like, matching polo shirts, so... Wasn't really they sure seemed was like students. Yeah. I don't know. Groupies of some sort, I guess. Um, and he's telling the story. So clearly he's made it out alive, got away from the footpath I killer. I was so disappointed that there was not more of this. I was right in remembering that it's a super unsatisfying cliffhanger. Yeah. And uh, the guy that plays the footpath killer is like somebody mildly famous. I didn't recognize him, but he was good. Like he It was, seems like they could have gotten some more use out of him. So I researched him a little bit and he was actually originally offered the role of Reed. And turned it down because he didn't want to be a recurring character in a series. So he said he'd be one of the killers. And then they didn't even use him. Yeah. Like thinking to some of these later episodes where they really drag these unsubs out over several episodes, you'd think this is someone they'd want to invest more time in. Yeah. They're not interested. Yeah. I'm surprised by that because he was good. Um. So Elle comes in and she asks him why he stutters. And Gideon says, well, you're on your way to joining the BAU. So she should tell him. And she can't figure it out. Uh, so Gideon then leaves his office and walks out into like the bullpen area. Um, and he uh, walks past Reed, who's playing chess, and just says, hey, you can checkmate in three moves. And Reed looks really surprised. And Morgan tells him that he'll be able to beat Gideon when he starts thinking outside the box. Mm, I wonder if that's going to come back later. I, yeah, it's... It's a shocking suggestion because everything they do is based on a prejudiced as- assumption about somebody else. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it's like their the whole, whole setup. Jo- whole job just is like, well, this Which is we what we know about later. this specific kind of person. And yeah, we're they going to apply it. that formula. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, L asks the rest of the team if they know why the. Uh, footpath killer stutters and they don't have an answer and then we get jj first appearance <gasps> baby jj yeah so she walks in introduces herself as the liaison and uh that's pretty much all we hear from her uh because hotch calls the rest of the team into the conference room and he shows them a video that was sent to them by the phoenix fbi office so this is another one where yeah. they're being called in by a satellite fbi office and this one where it's more of the traditional setup we're used to where we're seeing them get the case in and decide to take it yeah so they watched this uh, video um, that was taken by some students on this campus where there have been multiple fires set, and the students were watching another building, like a fire occurring in another building. The whole building didn't burn down. But somebody attempts to open their door, and the guy walks over, and there's like gasoline underneath the door, and then he I don't know how they can't tell fire. right out of the gate that this is gas. Yeah. It seems like it would smell... Really strongly. They're not at all suspicious. And this, the violence already is way cranked up from the first episode, right? I mean, we see this guy fully aflame. Yes, he is absolutely on fire. A huge jump from how indirect the violence was. It was like implied in the first episode, but you don't really see her being tortured or anything. Didn't see anything other than like the gross nail clipping scene. Yeah, they go, I mean, they go right for it and we watch this man burn to death. They're not messing around. Within the first seven minutes. Yeah. Whew. Uh, so we, then we get our first end cap quote uh, as they're on the pl- or getting on the plane. Um, 
And it's Einstein once said, imagination is more important than knowledge. Knowledge is limited, but imagination encircles the world. Again, they're... They're just really beating us over the head with this concept. outside the box, even though they themselves really never do that. Uh, especially in this episode. Uh So Reed is playing chess again on the plane, um, and he mentions that there are two main stressors for serial arsonists, and L chimes in to tell us that they are loss of job and loss of love. And these fires have been set with increasing speed. Uh, Reed points out that male arsonists are common, and female arsonists' main motive is usually revenge. Hotch says that it sounds like the unsub is a student, um, which at first I was like, kind of trying to figure out where he made that leap. But it makes sense because the fires were set in like May and September. And then yeah, so the it's current ones, so it was like just, just during academic terms and like the end and beginning of academic terms, which would be like the most stressful, stressful times. times. Yeah, and well, one of the facts that Reed spouts out is that it, it's like 82% white men between the ages of 17 and 27, which I guess would be, that would mainly be a group of students and grad students, right? Yeah. Not like... Yeah. So like all of that actually makes a lot of sense when they're pointing that out. And then they are kind of thinking inside the box so far. Yes. And Gideon says, don't be so sure. You don't want to limit your sights too much. So they decide they ask who they're going to speak with first, and they're going to talk to the dean of students, which I feel is a weird choice for Mm -hmm. a first contact on this case. Yep. Um, I'm not sure why they're not consulting with like the local FBI office or the local police, which they don't. No, we never do. All. We ever see them do that? No, the only authority person that they really talk to is the fire inspector, and he doesn't seem to have very much knowledge about fires at all. No, they're consulting students about these fires. Yeah, who know more about them than the fire inspector? But we have one of my favorite camera angles back. We jump through the campus brochure. Yes, onto the campus. Yes, another so photo good. jump. Uh, so yeah, we're on campus now. Um, the fire inspector tells us that the chem department has reported missing some chemicals that could be used as accelerants. Um, the dean immediately wants to evacuate the campus, which, you know, seems like a good idea. Totally um, logical. Yep. yep get these the, people the out of The team there. says no, because then the unsub will leave. Um, so, you know, you might lose the unsub, but you might also lose some more people if the unsub kills more of them with fire. <laughs> it's more important catching them, him, they're strongly suggesting it's a him, right? They refer to that. Yes, the unsub is he. That is the only pro- this. pronoun yeah. they use. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's more important to catch him than it is to stop any needless death. Let's not be ridiculous. Yeah, uh, the last fire was set with some diesel fuel that was stolen from the groundskeepers um, within one day. So the team's got a pretty tight time frame. That yeah, this is with. even tighter than last time. I know it's exciting. Uh, so they first visit the dorm room that was set on fire. They uh, look around and just by where it's located and everything, they realize that the arsonist wouldn't have been able to stick around um, because they would have just been exposed. Um, and it's odd because normal pyromania would indicate that the arsonist would want to watch the fire. Right, um, yeah. 
and they wouldn't be able to do that. The inspector shows the team um, the ignitions that were used in the first two fires, but there wasn't one used in the third fire. And Morgan's uh, speculation is that the unsub wants to set wanted to set that one manually so he could enjoy the target's death. This I just it's wild speculation right out of the gate. Like from every member of this team, I love it. Yes, and Hotch tells him not to be too hasty mm. on this one. Mm. So you know, there's lots of good camera angles in this part with Morgan of like he's imagining himself as the unsub and like the camera angles looking up at the different yes. parts of the building while and he's that. talking to himself yes. and then we see him from literally every angle mm-hmm. as the camera just very creative they're like, still I'm very the committed I want to burn a building down where would I burn it I'm going from to the basement stare into the middle distance <laughs> and then up towards the skyline and now down at the basement line yeah so he um when he's doing that whole uh you know, pretending to be the unsub getting in his head thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that normally an arsonist who wanted to burn a building down would have set the fire in the basement and then the rest of the building would be fuel. So they think that this is a more targeted fire mm-hmm. because it was set on the third floor. Um, so then they start talking about uh, motives for arson, which Reed says are vandalism, crime concealment, political statement, profit, and revenge. None of those really fit in yeah, this situation. Yeah, they cross them though. off really quickly. So they're really confused mm-hmm. about what's going on here. And well, they talk about professor versus student in this part, right? Yes, because that was I, the next I thing love, I had because it was a good scene. <laughs> I love Elle's reasoning of it It couldn't, arsonists are socially incompetent, so we can rule out a professor. And I want to say, excuse me, ma'am, have you ever attended a college course or sat in a large lecture? Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, where did you go to college? Not all of these people are performers. This is a very bizarre assumption to make about this arsonist. Yeah. But I love how she just describes the arsonist and, you know, it's somebody who's socially incompetent and he doesn't go on dates and he doesn't feel comfortable in a group and she's talking to Reed yes, who just kind of like, oh, dead-eyed shit. stares at her mm-hmm. and then she says, oh, what, you know, of course, he's a psychopath. <laughs> so. Not like you. And that seems to be enough to assuage his fears that he is like this yeah. person. He's like, well, I'm, I'm the rest of those things, but I'm not a psychopath. Yeah, there's like a, a real moment of panic that spreads across <laughs> his face. <laughs> I love it. It's okay, Reed. And it's you know all what? of us. I forgot that Elle was back in the second episode. I remember her in the first episode. I didn't remember her being back in the second episode. And I am not pleased that she's around. I'm not a fan. Yeah. I don't love her. She just doesn't have a lot to offer. She's like a try hard. She wants really badly to fit in with the team and to have things to say. So she just like says lots of things. Yeah. And I just don't find any of them valuable. They're not particularly helpful. No. Um, so then Gideon is talking to the Dean and he tells, uh, the Dean that they set up a hotline. Um, but it's not really to get tips or witnesses. It's because he thinks that the arsonist is going to out himself because he needs the attention and would want to insert himself into the investigation. Except they're socially incompetent. They just told us. So that would seem like the opposite to me, but I'm not a profiler. So what do I know? Yeah. These, yeah, that it it's like, doesn't like make said, a lot it's of a, sense. It's just wild. We're all over the place with the, these descriptors. In this yeah, episode. there's a lot of, they give a lot of descriptions of arsonists, like motives and behavior. And they're all like very specific and very vague at the same time. So like anything, like anything could work. In there. Yeah. And well, they give, <laughs> they give that None whole, of it is helpful. They do that whole uh, stereotypical arsonist description. I don't know if we've gotten to that part yet, um, but it, 
It's, oh, no, not yet. Okay. It, but it's... Again, just wild. I'll yeah. let you continue. I keep getting ahead of myself because <laughs> I just get so excited. Yeah, there's some really good scenes in this one. Um, so then Gideon watches a student light a cigarette. Um, and he's like weirdly enthralled like with the lighter, which it's like... PTSD it's, kind of like... Explosion yeah. flashbacks in this moment. Yeah, he's just picturing all of this stuff exploding. Um, I don't know if it's supposed to be like a premonition or whatever, because uh, there is a professor who we're like cutting back and forth between a, these things. A professor, did you say? Yes, a professor, someone who's hmm. very socially competent and goes and, on dates and is comfortable in front of groups. I wonder why they're drawing our attention to a professor. Yeah. So the um, the professor enters his office and he um, you can tell that he smells something weird and looks down and he sees a big pool of liquid under the door. But still pretty nonplussed about the whole thing. Yeah, like you would think if you were on a campus that has been sat, like ravaged by a serial arsonist, that would be a huge red flag and you would leave immediately. Uh, he mm-hmm. does not choose to do that. He just gets closer to it. And then he smells it some more. Clearly Mm -hmm. not a great smell. Um, And Gideon, we cut back to him, and he notices that there's a broken water fountain. I didn't understand this at first, but I think the water, like they turned off the water Water. in the building. Yeah. um, Because the sprinklers don't go on later. Uh, But that was really confusing because he's like, he's in the middle of the conversation with the dean, and then he just like, runs away from her and starts inspecting a water fountain and it shows her face at one point and she's just like what is happening right yeah. now he <laughs> so does this weird like tunnel vision thing where it's like all the sound stops and he focuses in on this weirdly specific yeah, like thing the same that he with a map in the yes. first episode yes um so he freaks out and goes and pulls the fire alarm just as the professor switch uh, hits the light switch. And he doesn't notice the light bulb, but the camera is zoomed in on it so we can see it. And it's full of black powder. So mm. probably gunpowder, we are, assume. Um, so Gideon grabs a fire extinguisher and goes and smashes a window. And he's trying to save the professor. Everybody's running out of the building. Morgan, like, grabs him and, like, throws him down a flight <laughs> of stairs. This series of <laughs> events, the only adjective I have for this entire episode is wild. Because yeah. this series of events makes no sense. When we last see Gideon, he's pulling the fire alarm near the entrance on the first floor. Right? Yeah. This professor, we don't know where in the building his office is compared to where Gideon begins this moment, right? Yeah. But he hightails it straight there like he knows where he's going. Yeah. And why does he have to bust out the window? Did the guy lock the door behind That's him? That's what I was wondering. Like, why, why didn't not he just, just open, open the, the door? door? And this man is screaming. But by the time Morgan gets there, only seconds later, and Morgan was like across campus just moments ago. Yeah. Morgan's suddenly also there and going, no, he's already dead. Just leave him. We've got to get out of here. What? Yeah. It seems like maybe, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I've never been fully engulfed in flames, but I feel like it would take a little bit longer. Right. I mean, it was like maybe there was a chance. Second. Yeah. Yeah, Like something you could have throw the fire extinguisher on the man at the very least. It's very early in the process, it felt like to me, but it just, they abandoned him immediately. Yes. Very quickly. Immediately. Um, But yeah, Morgan like throws him down the stairs on the fire, a fire escape, starts yelling at him. And I just really appreciate Gideon's, uh, but he was a teacher. <laughs> it's like, yes, you should definitely save teachers from fire. Yes. Put your nearest teacher out in yeah, case of fire, it's, please. <laughs> it's good to know that Gideon has our backs. He prioritizes education <laughs> exactly. as the rest of everyone else should. 
Um, but there's a bunch of kids that are standing around watching the fire. Um, and Hotch tells Elle to take pictures in case. I love this them. camera that yeah. she pulls out. Yeah. So she's got her like little silver digital camera and she's zooming in and taking pictures of all these students who all look to be in their mid thirties. Mm-hmm. Weird. Like just, yeah. you're just casting extras. Like it seems like it should be really easy to just find a bunch of 18, 19 year old kids. Oh yeah. Or to film on an actual college campus where they already are. But this camera is like the kind of camera that you took weird bathroom mirror selfies with to post on your MySpace. Oh, absolutely. I loved this camera they gave her. Like this is the equipment. Yeah. And you had like the little card in it and you had to put the, like get the little adapter. So you put the card into your computer. computer (laughs) And then you had to drag them to your desktop before you could upload them. Yeah. Uh, But this is, that's the level of technological equipment the FBI is working with is the one I would have bought at a Radio Shack in 2005. <laughs> okay. Exactly. <laughs> um, so then... Um, there's uh, the We're back in the dean's office, and this kid walks in, introduces himself as a researcher from the science department, offers to help with the investigation, and he says that they know how the unsub is doing it. So oh, incredibly suspicious. Yeah. Like, this is exactly... Like, oh, so you're the unsub then. Yeah, like, this is exactly what you're looking for. And okay. is, I he, couldn't figure out, is this kid, like, a sophomore? Is this kid a grad student? I don't know. Yeah, like... He looks young. He looks he young. looks like appropriate college age. Um, but yeah, he uh you know, is exactly that inserting yourself into the investigation. Also, he's like really smug. Yeah, about it. Yeah, there's a lot of red flags here. No one seems concerned. No. They they don't look into him any further. So, uh they go back, they're looking at the f- photos of the students watching the fire. Um Morgan uh, says that Nobody looks like they're enjoying the fire, so that they're getting nothing out of any of it. Great camera work in this moment, too. Yes. He's holding the lighter and the superimposed images of the pictures. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So then Elle begins her um, useless explanation. Mm-hmm. Uh, she starts t- starts talking about the homicidal triad. Oh, my God. I Did wanted to die <laughs> when she said triad and not triad. I'm like, yeah. you know what, Elle? This is another point against yeah. you. Like, please just go home. Please go, go back to Seattle. <laughs> please go back. They do- we don't need your help here. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, fire starting, bedwetting, and cruelty to animals. And if they look into the unsubs past, they'll probably find all three of those things. Mm. Um, this bothers me because that is it's not really a thing like it's a thing on tv shows but in real life it's not and i feel like if the whole premise of the show is psychology Mm -hmm. at least some of the psychology should be accurate again it's a very easy google search which i did several times throughout this episode to find out how much is just yeah straight up yeah it's just nonsense like Mm -hmm. all three of those things are common things in the past of criminals, but most of those things are just indicators of child abuse. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing that says like most criminals have all three of those indicators in their past. So that really irritated me because it's just wrong. Yep. And it's a psychology show, so they should (laughs) get that right at least. (laughs) Um, so they're discussing that they, you know, they've got all this research and precedent-based behavior. They, they don't. Yeah. That's wrong. There's a Um, whole (laughs) list of things that I wrote down that they claim is like the stereotypical arsonist profile. Yes. Will you share your profile list? Sure. So outside of the 
the homicidal triad yes, the that triad. Elle shares with us. Um, there's absent or abusive father, trouble with the opposite sex, chronic low self-esteem, their MO will be dynamic, and evolving as the fire setting escalates and they thrive on the panic and fear. However, so far their case is missing elements of sex and power. Actually, this case is missing all of those elements so I mean, far to our And knowledge. it is kind of evolving. Like the MO is changing a little bit. Um, so I don't know why they would say they don't have that unless it's just that that they don't think that the arsonist is enjoying the panic and fear, but they don't know that. They don't know they that. They don't know anything. They have zero suspects. <laughs> yeah. So this is a really useless moment of giving us this list of things. Yeah, they have way too little information on the actual case because they're not looking at any details of the actual case. They're only relying on what they already know about stereotypical arsonists. Again, the wild speculation. Yes. Uh, okay, so I love this scene. The campus patrol part. Because it serves no purpose mm-hmm. other than to uh, shove down the audience's throat how cool profilers are and I, that profiling is magic. On, on both sides of this encounter with this kid, quote unquote, <laughs> campus patrol, he's just like dressed in plain clothes. I love his hair because it is the most 2005 boy hair ever, like just, with the swoopy bangs and the yes. shaggy cut. And I'm like, popped okay, Justin collar. Bieber. Yeah. <laughs> Polo shirt with a popped collar. Oh, yeah. Or a double polo shirt. <laughs> um, I loved it because he's just a regu- dressed like a regular college kid. And he goes up to this adult man and is like, show me your ID. Why are you here? And he readily hands it over, no questions asked. This, yeah. this man child has shown you no reason to believe that he's in any position of yeah. authority. Also, like, why do they have just kids patrolling the campus? Mm-hmm. Why aren't there, like, actual police officers especially now everywhere in this horrible situation multiple deaths have occurred yeah there should just be cops everywhere no police presence but they have chad on his bike (laughs) riding from building to building (laughs) stopping passers-by like he can do something about it it was amazing yeah so uh gideon shows him his badge and the kid's like wow you're one of those profiler guys like i i feel like before this show, mm-hmm. nobody knew what profilers were. Like, that wasn't a thing that yeah. anyone was aware of and, like, would idolize. But somehow in this universe, everyone knows that FBI profilers are just akin to superheroes. They're the coolest of the cool. Yeah, he's now gone to two different cities and two different states, and people have fangirled all over him. Yeah. Like, I, I couldn't tell you, like, one current FBI agent. No. <laughs> They're not celebrities. No. Couldn't <laughs> tell you anything about them. In Criminal Minds universe, they certainly They are. get stopped on the street. Yes. Yeah. Um, so he is a little bit skeptical. He says, like, oh, you're one of those guys who can look at a crime scene and tell what kind of shampoo they use. And it's supposed to be, like, snide and snarky, but, like, that's what they do sometimes yeah. in these episodes. So mm-hmm. it's not too far-fetched. Um, and Gideon tells the kid that his gr- girlfriend is going to break up with him. And the kid looks pretty shocked. And he says, you keep messing with your necklace. So clearly it's new or someone just gave it to you. And it means forever yours in Chinese. And then Gideon leaves. It's a stretch. Yeah. Look, I've already professed my undying love for Mandy Patinkin. Yeah. I will say he can convincingly do pretty much anything he wants. Yeah. This is a stretch. Yeah. Um, but I do like in this episode how he uh, just has established this pattern of just saying things 
And then in the middle of the conversation, just fleeing. <laughs> it just leaves. We're done here. And the kid's just staring at him very confused. This fake cop child is yes. like, oh man. Imagine if it had been an actual situation with the unsub. Yeah. Big trouble. Uh, so then we go to the science lab. We're back with smug science kid mm-hmm. and um, a bunch of uh, other kids. I think they're all girls, right? All the other kids in the lab? I think so. Yeah, there's like uh, three or four other girls in the lab with them. They're all doing like various science. Like Various <laughs> science is a great way to put it. They're sciencing all over the place down in this basement. They are. They're just like like... <laughs> dripping things into test tubes with... It's like when I give kindergartners pipettes and test tubes <laughs> exactly. to play with. They're like, let's They're like, talk about the scientific process. Yeah, what are we doing? Science. Yes, that's so exactly. It's, yeah, it's just like, if you know nothing about science, that's your idea of what science would be. And like, you know, none of them are wearing like gloves or... Any kind of protective gear. Sort of protective gear. So I'm like, what are you... Just like... Colored water. (laughs) Again, what I would do in a science lab with small children. Baking soda and vinegar, volcanoes. Mm -hmm. They're all making elephant toothpaste (laughs) together down there. Get the yeast out. (laughs) Um, So Hotch asks Reed if he can talk to these students because they're about the same age so they can relate to them. I don't know. It's a strange move. I do not know what he was trying to do there, like what kind of flex that was, but in no way, shape, or form can Reed He's not equipped to relate to, to anyone. Have, because Reed shares so much of his personality with a stereotypical arsonist, we know he's socially incompetent <laughs> and he shouldn't be trying exactly. to talk to these strangers. Yeah. And also, as far as Hotch Watch is concerned, because we started our Hotch Watch last week he's still at a 10 um at his 10 he is a more charismatic person way better to talk to these people than reed at this point yeah um yeah so we've got uh reed just rambling incoherently about the history of the bau for a couple of minutes Mm -hmm. before hotch mercifully steps in and saves us from here having to hear any more of it Mm -hmm. uh and the kid who reached out to the dean explains how the light bulb ignition worked with the gunpowder and the light bulb, and then and you wasn't flip there the switch. Gas in the light bulb too? Didn't they some, say something about there being gasoline inside the light bulb? Yeah, he said. Uh, well, he says gas or anything that'll catch on fire. So okay, you could use gas. I, it looked like gunpowder. Yeah, I thought I it was gunpowder. This and then is I another thought- gun thing. I don't know anything about guns. It was some sort of a flammable black substance. Yeah, I, I thought it was gunpowder and then I thought he was talking about gas and I got very confused and I did a little bit of researching and the internet says that putting gas in a light bulb won't do anything. Hmm. I'm quite sure I'm on some sort of internet watch list. I, I also am because of this next thing because the girl uh, one of the girls says this stuff is all over the net. Yes and <laughs> so after what she described after I had already googled the gas and the light bulb thing I was afraid to do those two google searches back to back. Yeah I did however <laughs> google homemade Molotov cocktails <laughs> and it turns out that that is accurate you can oh. make one with uh, potassium sulfur and sugar. Um, I didn't want to spend too long on any of those websites yeah. because I'm sure now someone is tracking me. Yeah, no, me either. But from the the gas thing, it said because it's not a vacuum inside a light bulb, that mm. it wouldn't do it. It wouldn't be enough to spark something like gas in there just from the filaments. Mm. That makes sense. Right. Which, yeah. yeah, once you think about it. And then I was like, back away, back away from this website and Google something normal. <laughs> 
Um, so the girl asks if they think that the arsonist is a chemistry major and the first kid uh, holds the light bulb above his head like he's had a good idea, which mm. is a real... just it's a real winner. Yeah. So annoying. Um, and he <laughs> says, well, I think it's a good time to take the semester off. Uh, and then he immediately goes into an explanation about why he can't take right. the semester off because he's got projects and like, like lighting fires, sir. How are these students who just explained in detail how to make incendiary devices, not right at the top of anyone's list? Yeah. Who just, who came to them right. to explain to them how to make bombs they and set fires. They are checking things off of the list as far as this profile goes. And they're all just like... Thank you so much for the information. We've got to continue our investigation elsewhere. So, yeah, he goes on about his, you know, his project and he asks Hotch, he says, well, do you know how to uh, compute the gravitational pull between the earth, the sun and the moon? Like, first of all, are there computers for that? First of all, (laughs) that's physics. So I'm not sure like why, why he is a chemistry person. Yeah, there are all these like chemistry things, but then that group of kids is working on this physics project. So I don't know if it's like this. I don't know, some interdisciplinary they're just, they're science, science program. They're science majors. Yeah, they're they're <laughs> sciencing. Um, and uh, also, uh, that is called the three-body problem. They mention that. Um, yeah, they say that a lot, and I don't know what that means. Yeah, so it is. It's just trying to figure out the, the, gravi- yeah, the amount of gravitational pull between three bodies that are all exerting their own gravitational pull on oh. each other. Okay. Um, and it was first proposed by Newton in like the 1600s. But and it's just like one of their college assignments at this middling institution. It's Yeah, it's just one of, the, it's like a thought experiment, basically. Yeah. Nobody can figure it out. So it's like, what you are doing, sir, is not vital. It's a you hobby. You go home. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way you're like, I've got to solve this three-body problem or I just won't pass my physics 101 class. Exactly. Like you're, it's not an important project that's worth risking your life over. So clearly there's another reason you're that's staying so on campus. That's so interesting to know. Yes, because he goes on and on about how important it is and yeah. how important his work is. Yeah. And I'm like, you're like 19 and a half. Yeah. Super annoying. Mm-hmm. I do not like this guy. And obviously suspect number one. Yeah. How is this man not in cuffs? <laughs> no. How has he not been taken in for further questioning? No Nobody's going to look into it. They're like, what a helpful young man. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so then JJ comes into Garcia's office and Garcia plays her this garbled recording that's in like, you know, some voice changing software or something. indecipherable. And it just says, I do this for Caron. Mm-hmm. Um, so Garcia and Morgan then do some uh, weird Star Trek related flirting. Um, and Garcia says that she's going to put the audio through some filters. And she has a much more legitimate setup this time. They've decided to invest in Garcia Yes. She's like surrounded by like eight computer screens. Yeah, she must have tested well in that first episode yeah. because now they're like they're ready to give her some yeah. work to do. Because when they first played it, I'm like, are they saying Karen? Are they saying Kara? Are they saying Kira? Yeah, it doesn't sound like anything. Yeah, just I do this for Karen. Yeah, but it's Clara? all like yeah, like I do this for Kara. Yeah, like, you can't tell what it is. Yeah, but she's gonna clean it up for us real quick. Exactly. Uh, so Ellen Morgan decide that due to that recording, they're going to interview every Karen on campus. This and is like, the CD problem from episode number one. Yeah. So first of all, it doesn't sound like Karen. No. It sounds like Karen. Yeah. Like not Karen. You don't say, I'm going to go study with my friend Karen later. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so yeah, they're interviewing all of the Karens. Uh, there's a whole line of them. They've got all of the Karens on campus just, just lined just up. Just queued up. They're the all door. queued up. And you know what? They did a great job um, just making it a really diverse group of Karens. Like they really went out of their way yes. to make sure everyone was well represented in their suspect yeah, And pool. they like hand them this list and they're like, wow, that's a lot of Karens. Mm-hmm. And like, I realize it's a big campus. Like the dean says it's like a campus of like 10,000 10, yeah. kids. But like that was when I was in college. I don't know anybody my age named Karen. No. Not one person. Like no. that was not a popular name at that time. Right. So like. I You're don't right. think there would be and that many. Even of them. if there's ten thousand kids and you have to interview twelve Karens, it's a pretty low percentage. Yeah, like they were on their eighth Karen, and they had and a they're whole like, line of people. Phew, so many Karens. I just can't do it one more time. Yeah. So um, they're supposed to be doing that, but instead, L is still going on about the stutter to Morgan, and he tells her that she sounds like Reed, and she. Kind of laughs it off. She's if Reed seem wasn't to take, endearing. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't take too kindly to it. Um, so then we're back to Gideon, and he's just like skulking around in a dark building, looking at um, the math for the three body problem, which is just randomly posted on a hallway wall, like Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and he's just kind of staring at it. And Campus Patrol Kid comes back. Oh, my favorite. Yeah. So he's not wearing his necklace anymore. And Gideon uh, asks if he broke up with his girlfriend. And Campus Patrol Kid says he wants to bro- uh, broke up with her because he wants to date someone else. Gideon asks what her name is, and the kid says Brian. Love it. Yeah. Which Love I thought this was exchange. really cute. <laughs> Handled really well. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Gideon just says, oh, that's a pretty good reason and asks how she took it. And uh, Patrol Kid says that uh, she took it pretty well, except that she said that homosexuality is a sin and they'll incur the wrath of God. So, like, they're having this really nice, like, cute exchange and Mm -hmm. everything. And then Gideon does it again. He He just whispers, wrath of God. And then turns around and books it down a hallway. And I would have given anything for a reaction shot of that kid's face. I'm pouring my heart out to this man. (laughs) That poor boy who is just feeling so encouraged. He's coming out of the closet for the first time and Gideon's like, (gasps) (laughs) and just says wrath of God and runs away. I'm thinking of something else entirely. Yeah. So uh, Garcia and Morgan are back on the phone sexually harassing each other again. And it's very uncomfortable. Um, and Garcia delivers the breaking news that the caller's not saying Karen. What? They're saying Karen, which we all knew because we, it's what we it all sounded heard like. It. Yeah. Um, so then, right as she says that, Gideon runs in at the same time saying, It's Karen. It's Hebrew for God's burning anger, um, which means that Gideon speaks Hebrew and reads Chinese because he could read that kid's necklace earlier. Oh, that's right. So. I wish it'd be keeping a running tab of all of Gideon's talents. Yeah. Because I'm sure they are yeah, like a I, plenty. Yeah. I'm not not sure. I find that super plausible. <laughs> but um then everybody just starts like shouting out different examples of fire and different religious imagery. Mm-hmm. Um and Gideon tells them to slow down because although religion could be a part of it. It's not necessarily the prime compulsion. <gasps> well, now, wait a second. I'm, I'm thinking back to the last episode. Don't we have an expert on the team with obsessive behavior crimes? Um, in fact, we do. We have somebody who is the expert in obsessional crimes. Um, he is worthless. 
he doesn't chime in at he all. He has here. nothing and to say. No one turns to him and is like, wait a second, Morgan's our expert here. Morgan, tell us more about these kinds of religious obsession crimes. Yes. No, he, he's, he's got, got nothing. nothing. Nothing to offer at all. Um, Weird. But uh, Reed, when he says compulsion, uh, that's kind of like a little like spark for him. And, and he it, starts, you know, Reed spiraling. This is the second episode in a row where Reed has said the episode title. Yeah. Two for two there. Yeah. Uh, so Reed's just kind of like wandering around, just like watching the video of that poor kid burning to death over and over again mm-hmm. and just like saying, think outside the box, think outside the box to himself. <laughs> and Gideon opens the door and very helpfully tells him to think about it like chess, three moves ahead. Like, thanks, Gideon. It's very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but it does help. A little bit, because he uh, figures out that the professor's office is number three, mm-hmm. and his office hours were at three o'clock, and um, he tells them that the, uh, he tells Gideon and Hotch that the unsub isn't actually an arsonist. He is just a person with extreme OCD behaviors who uses fire as a tool. Um, he thinks that uh, they have a... Sp- particular manifestation and i forget what the word was it was some oh yeah wait i wrote i i looked this up and i have it somewhere um i'm not gonna say it right scupulosity something like that in any way any case it's scupulosity something like that is this religious ocd thing yeah so it's um like the unsub they think has extreme anxiety about sinning and um, they use the fire setting to kind of assuage that anxiety. And so I don't know if you noticed Reed's original, like on the wipe off board, he had this like brainstorming list that he erases right before he has his epiphany. Yes. Um, I paused it to see what was written on there and it is amazing. Did you notice what was written on that board? Was that when they were making the list of, oh, when they said, like, what are the most sinful places on campus? And then Morgan has this little comment where he goes, they were all sinful places. And I was like, ew, gross, It's like half a list of religions and half a list of sinful places. And I couldn't read one of his his handwriting for one, but it goes, Jews, Christians, Muslims, (laughs) Hindi, frats, bars, targets. (laughs) What's written on this board. And I was like, oh, this is a crack team right here. Like, they're really going for it. I can't believe he erased it. That was so helpful. And then he erased all of that when he had his real epiphany. But I was like, it was too good not to write down. (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, So, yeah, he notices that the... um, uh, When he's watching the video that the doorknob turns, not Mm -hmm. really like they're trying to get in, but just turns briefly three times. Um, He also says that there are coincidental incidences of the number three surrounding each of the fires. Uh, One of the examples was the first fire occurred at 3 p.m. on March 3rd. Mm. Um, So Hotch has a revelation. Mm. He knows who it is. And they've been wrong all along because the unsub is a girl. Wow. Our hypothesis is wrong in episode two. I know. Uh, So the dean 
of the dean of students of this campus of 10,000 students helpfully knows exactly who this girl is. Her name is Clara, and she's a chemistry major. Yeah, because, normally they know everyone by yeah, name. I definitely had no idea who the dean of students was when I was in college, and yeah. they absolutely didn't know who I was. I'm pretty sure I had some professors in some of those bigger lectures that couldn't have picked oh, me yeah. out of a crowd. Yeah. I had plenty of professors in like, you know, the like freshman level lecture classes. Yeah. None of them had any idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, Hotch remembers that when they were talking to her, she's the Molotov cocktail girl. Mm-hmm. Um, she was twisting her ring in intervals of three, mm-hmm. which... Okay, magic observational skills. Yep. Um, she said when she was talking about how to make them, she said sugar three times, which in the context of the conversation, the way that she said it would not have stood out in any way that was noteworthy. No, it because, was very natural. Like she said, you know, like, and you need, she's listing off the ingredients and she says, and sugar, sugar, like sugar that you get from the store. So like... It wasn't like she was like, sugar, sugar, sugar. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. How you would imagine it being. And yeah. then his third reason is that she listed three ingredients. But but that but there are only that's three all that you need, which is why I looked it up because I wanted to know mm-hmm. if there were more than three. But that's it. That's all you need. So But I mean again, back to my why didn't they look into these people more closely the first time they were brought to their attention? The extremely suspicious bomb makers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nope. Didn't look at her. Even a little bit. <laughs> well, they were looking for a boy. I mean, right. So it couldn't have been they any didn't, of them. They or didn't even look the boy for the that suspicious they boy at. either. Yeah. Um, so they decide that they're going to go try to find her, and they go to her off-campus apartment. This apartment. Whoa. It is typical crazy person apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, the walls are completely covered in paper that just has handwritten Bible verses all over it. The set um, designers had a really good time with like this one. Lit candles everywhere right in front of the the paper yeah, on the walls. Yeah, just fire hazard yeah. top to bottom. Um, and as they walk in, Morgan gives one of the best lines in the show. Do you remember what it was? No, what was it? He says, OCD, more like <gasps> OMG. Yes, I made a note about this because then Elle's like, OMG. Yeah. So yeah, she doesn't understand like very, very common text lingo. Yeah. Like everybody knows what that means. Yeah, like 2005 wasn't that long ago. No. Um, Again, get out of here, Elle. You're yeah. useless. Uh, but even though she does not understand what OMG could possibly stand for, um, she does immediately recognize a f- uh, like a drawing of Charon from Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. And I still posit the whole Greek mythology angle would have been much better than this weird religious angle that they did not really commit to. Yeah. They don't understand anything about religion. Yeah, and I don't understand if it was if it's the, the Hebrew... Charon word, which would be burning anger mm-hmm. and like fire, like, you know, God and like fire and rage, like other than being spelled the same way, what does Charon, the Greek ferryman to Hades have anything to do with it? Yes. Um, Worth bringing up several times though. Yes. Um, then Morgan has another star line. He very helpfully notes that Charon is also the moon of Pluto. It is a moon of Pluto, Morgan. Yes. He specifically says it's the only one. Um, And I double-checked this because it really bothered me. And there were three moons of Pluto (laughs) as of this time. They had discovered two of them just earlier the same year. So even if... There is no even if. There's no reason for this. It would have been big news at the time. 
that anybody would have read about. Yeah. It would have been everywhere. Yeah. So they, um, yeah, uh, I really liked Elle's reaction to that little fact because she just kind of like rolls her eyes and nods. Yeah, Which, it's not relevant. She's yeah, right. It's wholly irrelevant. It's like, <laughs> I once knew someone named Karen. <laughs> exactly. Like, we don't need that information right now. Yeah, she's just like, okay, shut up. <laughs> um, so they, uh, oh, then they start, they make a read of reference to Moloch, and Reed explains that he is a Canaanite sun god to whom children were sacrificed by being burned alive. And that, like, the archaeological veracity of that is debated. Mm. Um, there's not a whole lot of documentation other than, like, in the Bible, you know, written by people who did not like the Canaanites. Right. So it could just be, like, you know, Look at propaganda. These dumb people. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's not a whole lot of other record that says that any of that happened. But if she's obsessed with, like, biblical imagery, then it makes sense that that would have been the story that Clara knew. Mm-hmm. So I guess I can give that one a pass. But I feel like Reed really would have well actually that one and explained it a little yeah, bit more. I'm, I'm having a hard time with their whole tenuous <laughs> Bible connection in yeah. this episode. Yeah. Um, they learn that Clara had survived a fire as a teenager and that her mother believed that God had tested her and saved her and blessed her. Mm. Um, so, and the address of that house was 333. Oh, man. So Elle and Morgan decide that now every time Clara sees a pattern of three threes around a person, she feels the need to test them by fire. Um, to see if God saves them or if they're doomed. Um, uh, spoiler alert, they've all been doomed so far. Yeah. She, um, oh, then well, like pushes this beaded curtain aside and there's just a wall of homemade bombs. And they're really calm about it. Yeah. They're just like, ooh, here's some bombs. Here's, Let's get here's out of all here. of these unstable homemade bombs in a pile. We should stay close yeah, while we call this, for backup. On this rickety shelf. Yes. So then they uh, they leave, and um, this is a really bizarre move. Gideon tells the team that they need to get to every building on campus and pull all of the fire alarms. It's a strange move. To get everyone out. But it seems like if they're really concerned about an actual fire being set, then the fire alarms in every building going off simultaneously is going to make it really difficult to to figure out where the actual I, fire yeah, is identify and respond to an actual fire should mm-hmm. one occur yeah mm-hmm. um but that's what they decide to do uh the three science kids who were in the lab with clara are walking through their building and they go to get into an elevator because they've just got to get their work done yeah they've got to solve this life-threatening situation it doesn't matter They've got homework. Yeah. So we see um, a hand, presumably uh, Clara, but we don't see anything but her hand, use the key to turn and stop the elevator. Mm -hmm. And Um, I I love that the dean is saying that, you know, we're sending security to check the science building and Gideon just like gives her the hardest eye roll. Like, yeah, duh. (laughs) Where else would you start looking for them? Yeah. Or for her? So yeah, they are uh, um, stuck on the third floor. Mm -hmm. And where no one can find them. Apparently the sweep was... Not thorough. Yeah. Well, they say, they're like, oh, well, none of the elevators are in service. But How nobody d- checks nobody the elevators. Checks. They just check to see if any of them are currently moving. They don't check to see if any of them are stuck between floors. Right. It is, it's a very seems, lackadaisical yeah. approach to yeah. campus security. I feel like I they, wonder if that Chad and his... Uh, it's just the one Two bike. speed are walking around <laughs> checking things on his own. <laughs> He's just the only one evacuating this whole building. Yep. Um, 
So they decide that they should try prying the doors open and, you know, smug science kid has to explain to them that elevator doors don't open all the way because it's a security precaution. Mm -hmm. Um, Hotch is explaining to everyone that when they do find Clara, they shouldn't try to reason with her because her disorder is irrational. She isn't setting the fires because she wants to, but because she has to. And you can tell by the look on Gideon's face in this moment that he's like, I could talk her out of it. Yeah. He's like... No, no, I could, I could do it. It's like amateur. Yeah. Uh, the kids pry the doors open a little bit, start yelling for help. And Clara appears in the space above them and says that she's there to save them. They seem mildly relieved for a minute and then realize she's got like crazy eyes going on. Mm-hmm. Um, they ask if the building's on fire and she pokes her head back in and goes, not yet. <laughs> So then they all start freaking out and Clara starts telling them that God has chosen them. And this is where, this is where the whole episode loses. <laughs> really me. goes off the rails yeah. here. So she pulls out the three bottles of chemicals and says, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. She's <laughs> setting them down. And then she picks up these bottles of just highly flammable accelerant mm-hmm. and just starts spraying them haphazardly everywhere. Mm-hmm. And she like mostly sprays one out and then just flings it yeah, aside. It is going everywhere. There's, <laughs> there's still accelerant in the bottles. There's accelerant everywhere. It's dripped like, all over her. It's hanging in the air around them. Everyone this is is a fireball. The whole room is Mm -hmm. like hallway is just covered in accelerant at this point. Um, And then she lights a flare. It's a flare. (laughs) They should have gone up immediately. She's just soaked in gasoline (laughs) holding a flare in front of her and nothing catches on fire. Um, So then Hotch remembers that the science kid told him that you have to have a key to make the elevators work. And then this somehow makes him realize that he needs to go check the elevators. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's talking to Reed, and Reed discovers that Clara was close to failing out of school, so that must have been her stressor. And um, they say that, or ask if they checked the science building, and Gideon's like, no, we already cleared the science building. And Reed goes, well, the third floor is under construction. So, like, first of all... So you still should have checked it You should have checked it. Second of all, especially you should have checked it because it's the third floor and all of this is threes. Mm -hmm. Um, Apparently they did not because that's exactly where they are. Uh, So they... Hotch arrives. Clara's just sitting there holding the flare. um, And then he decides his best course of action is to To reason reason with her, her, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what he had just said not to do. So he... um, yeah, he's, you know, explaining, like, uh, you know this is irrational. And she's like, I know I have to do it. Something bad will happen. And he's trying to talk her down. Um, and then uh, Gideon comes from the other side. So they've got mm-hmm. her. Boxed it's very in. dramatic. She's cornered, right? Mm-hmm. And then Hot shoots her in the leg. Mm-hmm. So this is where... Again, like, could start a fire. I don't know <laughs> about guns, I really don't. TV um, and movies tell me that shooting a gun near an accelerant will I make did, a fire start. I, yeah. Like, I asked around. Um, I can't Google got, it because of my other Google <laughs> searches. <laughs> I got some confirmation that that, in fact, could have started a fire. Yep. Um, but not only did it cause, or not only could it have caused a fire, it all it causes her to drop the flare into the various puddles of accelerant <laughs> around her, and it's just rolling toward the open elevator this where rare, all of the kids I just, are. This roll, and then uh, right before it falls into the elevator, you know, I, I assume it's it's rolled through 
you know, two and a half cups of gasoline at this point, Mm -hmm. Gideon stomps on it and puts it out. Mm -hmm. I love it because you see it rolling and just their faces framed in the teeny opening of the "Ah!" elevator doors. It's great. Uh (laughs) But here's what I don't understand because Mm -hmm. like the last time in the last episode, it was like distract the unsub, Mm -hmm. shoot them. This time, distract the unsub, shoot them. They could have sprayed her with a fire extinguisher. Why aren't you on this team? You'd be <laughs> like, way better than Elle. Why didn't they just... She would not have gotten hurt. Mm-hmm. Because, like, they know that she's not, like, evil. Like, yeah. she's mentally ill. Right. Like, it would have been safer mm-hmm. all around. Mm-hmm. It would have been more interesting to watch. Yeah, more like, creative takedown. It would have been way cooler if they sprayed her. Like, one of them... Like If, if Hodge he, was trying to talk her down and Gideon went up behind her and sprayed her with If he distracted her while Gideon sprayed her with a fire extinguisher mm-hmm. and then they just... You know, excuse me, criminal minds. If you're listening, we're available for <laughs> season 16 if you need us. Yeah, but that that just really bothered me because it was such a missed opportunity for what could have been a really cool scene. Yeah, and it wasn't, and it re- like they un- unnecessarily injured a mentally ill girl <laughs> and then also almost killed three other kids because right. she dropped the flare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So that's my um, Dotson moment <laughs> of this. Um, so they get back on the plane, and Elle says that she figured out the stutter. Oh, did she? Yeah. So we're going to figure that out. It's, uh, she tells Gideon that when she and Hotch were talking, she realized that Gideon doesn't know why he stutters. He was mm. just stalling for time. Hmm. And Gideon says, uh, I don't know what causes stutter, but I know how to provoke one. So again, he just taunts the unsub mm-hmm. into distraction mm-hmm. with some really good burns. Like he's like, yeah. he loves to goad these people. Yeah. And I mean, they flash back next, right. To showing us the actual yeah. takedown. And it's, it's so good. He's like flinging insults left and right. Yeah. Like the, the, uh, the guy has the gun on him mm-hmm. and he's, uh, just going, I, 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 I like stuttering and, uh, Gideon's just going, I can't understand what you're saying. What are you trying to say to me? I bet you were a bedwetter. He's just like mocking this guy. This guy says that he had killed, they thought it was like, they found six bodies, but he actually had killed 13 13 pictures because he shows him the wall of Polaroids Yeah, which I also was dying. I paused to look at some of the notes around those. Didn't one of them say like bad boy or something? Yeah, yeah, boy love, (laughs) number four, PB. I'm like, what kind of nicknames is he making up for these people? He's just got all the pictures like on his refrigerator. Yeah. With notes next to but them. he's he says, "Oh, I didn't think you could count to thirteen because you're so stupid." Yeah. Like, oh, bold. So he eventually just makes this guy so mad that he like fumbles with the shotgun, and then Gideon knocks it out of his hands, hits him with it, and knocks him unconscious. Yeah. So that was the whole resolution of what could have been a really cool story. What could have been an episode in and of itself, yeah. but. So, so, what do you think? Oh, I'm sorry. Is there more recap? Oh, just at the end, uh, Gideon beats Reed at chess yet again. Oh, and that's then right. Says, that's right. You're getting there. Mm-hmm. And is there another quote at the end? Oh, yes. It is from William Faulkner and it's don't bother ju- don't bother just to be better than your contemporaries or predecessors. Try to be better than yourself. Hmm. Inspirational. Yes. So what do you give the profile in this? So in case you weren't listening last time, we're scoring the profile yeah. on three things, right? Yes. Um Accuracy, helpfulness, and plausibility. Mm-hmm. 
So I feel like the profile, they didn't officially deliver one, but they gave us lots of information about arsonists. Mm-hmm. Um, and their profile was utterly useless. Because None of they the information spent, was correct. They spent a solid 40 minutes uh, making incorrect assumptions about the motivation of the unsub. Mm-hmm. So that's like a, a zero. Yeah. Um, if I was being generous, I'd give it a one. Yeah. Helpfulness? No. Nothing? Because it wasn't helpful at all. Plausible only in the fact that it describes a typical arsonist, but then we discovered this isn't a typical arsonist. It's just a girl who told them how to make bombs, Mm -hmm. um, asked if they, like, didn't they think that probably the unsub was a chem major, and then Mm -hmm. also called into their tip line. Yeah. And they just never bothered to look into it. Never followed up. Um, And, like, the plausibility, I guess, for the profile that they came up with, like, Mm -hmm. they seem to have some pretty good... like research reasons, patterns of behavior that they see in arsonists. Mm -hmm. So like, had it been a white male arsonist, there's reasons why they would have come up with the things that they did. Yeah. Um, It just wasn't relevant to the story. Yeah. That's why I give it a one overall. (laughs) Just a one. Yeah. It's not good. So if you average our scores, it's a (laughs) (laughs) 0.5 as far as this profile goes. And then but, yeah. the stats for this unsub even us out a little more. Yeah. So we do not have a white man. We do not. We Though they speculated girl. wildly, we have a white girl. Yes. So close. So close. Uh, so yeah, I guess we're, I'm going to have to like chart the actual statistics yeah. of how this all goes. Um, maybe we can we'll share make it periodically. An ever, ever evolving pie graph. Yes, exactly. <laughs> to see how it all ends up. But an interesting twist, a yeah. she. And that's compulsion. That was compulsion. Uh, I I did look up beforehand, so less fumbling this time, that the next episode, episode three, is Won't Get Fooled Again. Yeah. Shockingly not a CSI episode. (laughs) (laughs) Very curious, because I don't remember anything about it. I didn't even look at the description. I did nothing to jog my memory. No, I don't know what this one is either, so it should be interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, You can find The Unsub is a White Man on Spotify and on Anchor. And you can find us on Instagram at The Unsub is a White Man. Our theme song was composed and performed by Nate Youngblood. And our podcast is produced by Nate Youngblood. Thanks, Nate. And join us next time when we deliver yet another profile.